0: Well, good morning. I'm Alicia Schmidt-Camacho, and I have the pleasure of being here with Luis Luna and Sylvia Ryerson to talk about their work with the podcast Melting the Ice. And by way of getting started, um, Luis and Sylvia, would you just each say a little
1: bit about yourselves and how you came to this project? Thank you, Alicia. We're so excited to talk about this project with you. I am a second-year PhD student um, here in the American Studies program at Yale and also pursuing the master's um in the public humanities program here.
2: Yeah, so, um, so my name is uh, Luis um, Luna. I was born in Ecuador and when I was a young uh, boy I came to the US um, to this uh, part of the country. I am a community organizer. Um, right, currently I work for the Working Families Party as the field director And I also have a uh, radio show um, locally here at at WPKN in Bridgeport where I mix uh, music and issues around immigration and and other things. So that's more or less my background. um, I'm an activist, and I also uh, do uh, radio.
0: Now, Sylvia, you've been doing work in other contexts with radio, figuring out how to transmit messages to people who are incarcerated and how to um, serve Communities affected by
1: incarceration. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, for many, so I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and then um, after college, I found my way to an organization called Apple Shop, A P P A L, as in Appalachia, um, in the Central Appalachian coalfields in eastern Kentucky. And Apple Shop is a, a community media and education center. And just a little background on Apple Shop, um, it was founded in the 60s in part to counter a lot of the derogatory national coverage of of the region. And it was founded by young people who um, wanted to center Appalachian voices um, in finding ways for people to um, tell their own stories and document their own lives and articulate their own solutions to the problems that they see facing them. And sort of um, Appleshop really taught me about storytelling as a central component of any movement for transformative social change. And so one project that I got to be a part of at Apple Shop was their, their long-standing weekly radio show called Calls from Home, which um, started in the early 2000s as a response to rapid prison growth and carceral expansion in, in the coal fields. And... Um, Apple Shop has a community radio station, WMMT-FM, and suddenly within WMMT's local broadcast area, there were eight prisons that were all built since 1990. And sort of through collaborative organizing and communication, a show was born – in response to all these prisons being built and also the exorbitant rates of phone calls and how difficult it was for families to, to see their loved ones incarcerated in the region. So WMMT has a weekly show that offers a toll-free phone line for family members to call into the radio station and record a phone message that is then broadcast out over the airwaves to reach their loved ones um, very far from home. And so I co-hosted that show for many years, and you know, being in the studio— Many, many Monday nights answering the phone lines and hearing from moms and wives and grandmothers and kids and brothers calling in to leave a message that was broadcast on the airwaves that night and reaching people inside and then also getting letters to the station from people incarcerated that would write us and describe to us what it was like to listen to the show and um, send us music requests. That show taught me the possibilities of using these airwaves as a way to to transcend these walls. And Lisa, you've been working
0: in radio for many years now, and you're also a photographer um, who documents and uh, gives us ways of seeing migrant communities. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the radio work you've done and how you imagined that show and the work it does?
2: Sure. Um, So I do um, radio at a local community radio station here in uh, Bridgeport, and um, it broadcasts um, in three counties, and I see that my role as a DJ um, at WPKN, um, I, I see it in, in two parts. One of them is to share music that is alternative, that has political messages sometimes, but also is uh, music that you will not hear on the on the on the commercial uh, airwaves. Um, as means to share uh, our culture uh, of music that is being produced, whether it's in the United States, Chile, Argentina, uh, Brazil. Um, and the other part is to also use that space to elevate the voices of people who are um, organizing um, or issues around immigration that need to be heard, um, that we don't necessarily hear that on, on um, commercial radio stations.
0: And so if we were just to go a little bit further into that background, what is it about the medium of radio that attracts you? What does it allow you to do, especially uh, versus other media?
2: So I think like radio for me has been sort of like part of my DNA because I recently I was just thinking about how how I got into radio. And, I, and there's a story where I was about five years old and my family had gone out to hunt uh, quail or the equivalent of quail in that region of ecuador and my cousin andres had this really large radio um, and it was a, a two-way radio and, uh, and they we were all together in my great-grandfather's house and they were testing at this radio and my other cousin took the other uh, radio and, and walked 300 meters that way and then they talked and i was just completely fascinated by it and then i realized that I was nagging my dad to buy me a radio. So he bought me this tiny FM radio, and I would just listen to radio all the time, and I would just switch the dial, and I, I and I always thought that it was just fascinating. So when I came to uh, New Haven I wa- and I was looking for for my community, I was looking for, uh, for folks who looked like me, who spoke my own language. I ran into this radio station of some local activists uh, here in New Haven um, from uh, ULA, and they had made a call to for folks to come in to the to a march in 2007. Uh, it was a call to action over the radio. So I came, and it was uh, almost a thousand people with with uh, pancartas, with signs, and marching down the streets of New Haven. And I just I was just so moved by it. So I became an activist uh, through there. So I think radio is a tool for organizing, as I see it, and I think that. Um, by putting out content both musically that is alternative but, uh, and also by sharing uh, information on how these issues are affecting our communities, specifically immigration in my case, it's hugely, hugely important.
0: Celia, so, yeah, I know that you've thought a lot about what is happening on the airwaves and how airwaves travel yeah. through different kinds of spaces.
1: Yeah, I love this question. I I think I I found the radio um, when I was in college. I was actually a double major. I was a music major and an American studies double major. And I was always trying to you know figure out how those worlds could meet. Um, I loved sound. I loved music, and also was really involved in activism and organizing. And when I found radio, it was this space where analysis and art and organizing can can meet. Um, And One of the things I love about radio is I just, you know, it's a way where the whole goal is to listen to each other, and we're not, it's just hearing each other's voices, and I think there's something really special about that in a world that's, you know, visual culture is so dominant, um, but what does it mean when we just, all we have is someone's voice? And I also love radio because it's, the goal, in a way, is to not, Become fossilized into a book or a film but the calls from home show to me was so meaningful because it was it was just ongoing it was just this consistent time slot on this show every single monday night and um so to me, radio is kind of almost a praxis of how you can how you can try to inhabit all of these worlds of organizing and art and um, analysis together, but in an ongoing way. That's always a conversation that keeps going. And so, and then the last thing I'll say about radio is I think that um, there's something profound about how public airwaves can penetrate what we know are the most censored and surveilled institutions in the world, um, and the power of that. And I think how it can reveal, you know, these, these walls and these borders and cells, they're built on a logic that assumes there's such a thing as a fully sealed and um, controlled border. And I think these airwaves are a way to show that um, there's no such thing as that. And we'll always keep finding ways to um, never allow um, that total separation.
0: So you all have come together with these different uh, histories of doing very similar and overlapping work, with different constituencies, perhaps um, around radio. What is your collaboration? How? Uh, what is the project? Can you describe uh, some of what you're doing?
2: Sure. Um, so, so Alicia, you introduced us <laughs> and and said, you know, Luis, you should meet. Sylvia, Sylvia, you should meet Luis. And we did. We we sat together in a on in a table at a, at a coffee shop here in New Haven. We shared each other's stories. And then we said, like, how do we like create something? How do we collaborate together? And how do we imagine something that is not there? You know, how do we just put it all just put it all together? So then the first thing that we figured was we have a platform, right? So we have my radio show. Um and then we have uh, the incredible experience that, that Sylvia brings into, in, into this, into this uh, thing that we don't know what it is. Um, and then we started from, from, the, from, from just asking the basic question, which was, what is it that we want to do? Like how, like, how do we reach folks in detention? Like, what are we saying on the airwaves? How do we m- navigate language? Like how do we make it so it's accessible to audiences that speak Spanish and audiences that speak English? So we started to 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 think um, and think about uh, and structure and a format and recording and script writing. Um, so then uh, that's more or less how we how we sort of started to like imagine it.
1: Also, during this time, I was enrolled in your migrant justice seminar last spring, and um, so in our seminar, we were really thinking together a lot about what what is a migrant-centered approach to theorizing and accounting for this current regime of militarized and criminalized border control and enforcement. And I think those questions in our class were um, really present for both of us in thinking through the design of these episodes and through our conversations together. Um, But what would it mean to create, um, yeah, migrant-centered media on these issues? And um, so that was... You know, through long conversations that that you were so helpful in thinking through is is really wanting to to explore a long form format of saying, you know, to really to understand the catastrophe of detention in someone's life. You can't begin with the point of their detention, but we have to understand an arc of. Um, you know the crisis, the personal and communal crises that this is this is creating for for people, and so um, we sort of landed on the structure of, of just wanting to center um, voices of people directly impacted by this system, either themselves who have been detained or, or have had loved ones detained, um, and then also using um, the script of the show to unpack the um, legal frameworks and histories of how the system has um, grown into what it is today. And then also to really highlight and um, end with um, all of the strategies and organizing that is happening um, to confront the system in so many different ways. And I think one thing we've been thinking a lot about in terms of what it means to do migrant-centered production on these issues, is what does it mean if not only we're centering these experiences in the episodes themselves, but what if we think about migrants and immigrant communities as our primary audience also?
0: So maybe it's a good idea to define migrant-centered for your audiences, yeah. uh, since it's a, a discussion we've had in, in our own way, but maybe yeah. it means different things to different people.
2: I think that like uh, um i think like the voices who are being impacted by the detention should be in the center of the conversation and i think that uh, those voices need to uh find spaces for those voices to be heard we wanted to create an structure and um and an interview uh format where those voices are 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 speaking truth uh to power as to why they are there and i think how we imagined it was like, how do we deconstruct the system by focusing on one story to sort of tell what uh, mechanisms worked against that person for that person to be detained and also to highlight um, the organizing that's being done on uh, the ground.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's so much reporting and coverage of immigration right now. Right. And um, we didn't want to create a podcast that was more experts talk so-called experts I mean but um what what does it mean to create media that builds power not paranoia um and I think what I've come to understand migrant-centered work meaning is understanding that mobility is a central and necessary part of human life, and that that needs to be protected, um, and that the people that are the ones navigating these borders are the ones that um, can help us best think through the new analytical frameworks we need on how human movement in this moment in history can and should and might operate outside of the perspective of sovereign nation states. And so...
0: One of the things that you have done then is also find ways to collaborate with different kinds of organizations, right? That are also doing this work. Um, can you talk about how your podcast has evolved and connected you with uh, organizations and projects?
2: So it's really incredible to like know all of the folks that we know in our in our networks, like folks. Uh, who are in the immigrant justice, uh, we are part of this eco- ecosystem. And I think that in order to destroy all the pillars of ICE, we have to identify who in our communities, in our organizing, is doing what. Um, I'm trying to organize my thoughts because uh, they, it, it has been so amazing to just connect with folks and say, hey, like we're, we're working on this podcast. It's called Melting the Ice, Retiendo el Hielo. This is what we want to do. And folks are like, it sounds great. Let's let's collaborate. How can we be a part? And then we sort of like think of like, okay, let's, let's figure this out.
1: And that's what's been so incredible is the people we've gotten to meet. We've met with um, a lot of movement organizations in New Jersey that are working right outside of the f- detention facilities that this show is reaching. Um, so many organizations here in New Haven. Um, and people have so many ideas for us about what is needed and what um, kind of storytelling or approach um, they would like to see. And so it really feels like the whole show is is a collective organizing project itself. Um, But I think one thing that through our conversations, Alicia, has been really exciting for me to think through is how could the effect of listening to this show for people allow folks to have a sense that there is actually an abundance of organizing happening, that there is so much work and there are so many ways and different strategies that people can become a part of that I almost think about you know what if what if this series as a whole and this is a word you said that I love is almost creating a mosaic of um, organizing in this moment Um, and something towards a scholarship of struggle of thinking through what struggle is happening where and how and how can we uplift that and think through it and think these things together so one of the things that
0: we all have to think about when we're looking at movement is how to move from the individual story and experience to the wider system and structure. And it strikes me that in your formatting of this podcast, you do just that. And I wonder if you can take us through the theory and uh, conception that you've done to figure out how do you um engage with an individual person and experience and be attentive to that. And then also Im- um, find power there that can shape a discussion of a larger shared condition.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing that was hugely helpful for me in thinking through that was um, what I learned in your class about the history of the testimonial and thinking about the power of testimony as a method for making oneself available for struggle. And I feel like the people who are – we want to talk to people for this project who want to share their stories and um, – when someone shares a story, then how can we build a framework and a structure that just then supports what they're saying and and their generosity in making their story available for struggle? Then how can we use our host script on either side to just lift that up? And um, and that I feel like is, is what I can do in my position as a scholar. I have space to read and think through these histories and frameworks and so to try to... Um, you know, think through the actual structures that that people are, b- people's lives are being impacted by on a very personal level. But, um, you know, what are these huge forces at work? And so, to try to balance both of those in the episode. So, I think in short, we've designed the structure to be, um, you know, almost like a little radio essay at the beginning of um, a background on a different part of the system. So, for example, in our first episode, we. Um, tried to, you know, write a brief history and analysis of the immigration reform of 1996, IRA IRA and how that drastically expanded who was eligible for deportation for people that had you know, prior criminal convictions from years past, and then shared the story of Tony, who seven years after committing a nonviolent crime for which he received no sentence, jail time at the time was then um, detained for seven months facing deportation. Um, and so, how understanding Ira Ira is critical to understanding the the choice that Tony was then facing when he was in the Bergen County detention facility. And then ending the episode with showing um, the exact organizing that's happening right now and like pending Supreme Court cases. So um, to try to find a way to, yeah, to um, both unpack how the system is working and then um, the work that is happening against it.
2: Yeah. And then to, uh, and then to add uh, to that, we have a space um, at WPKN where we can, one, play the produced podcast and then bring folks, um, organizers in the community to expand that message mm-hmm. and to really talk more about what is happening on the ground and connect listeners to real-time organizing. That is to say, you know, bring folks from the uh, the Immigrant Bail Fund or the Heart for Deportation Defense who who come in and we have a conversation, we talk about what we heard on the podcast. We connect it back to The reality here in Connecticut and then also we we use that as we use radio as an organizing tool for folks who are listening so they can plug in into um, the work that's on the ground so I feel that um, you know we have a really great opportunity right now um, to in one hand have the the uh, the podcast but then also to you know use the platform that we have at WPKN to really expand uh, on the
0: message. So with all of that, um, I imagine that there are moments where you have to think a lot about violence and the different ways in which violence is manifested in the life of our communities in the life of the people that you're engaging with. And that poses some ethical questions, right, about how you respond to unaffected uh, community or an individual um, experience. Can you talk a little bit about what some of the challenges around that, those things might be about representation um, and uh, sort of the obligations of, of, that come with listening?
2: So, um, you know, thank you for that. Thank you for that question. Um, I think what is happening with uh, with immigration is it's, it's just, uh, I mean, there's so much violence that's been directed to to our communities. Now the question is, how do we tell these stories that are extremely important to tell? Because we need to illustrate the mechanisms and the and the violent structures that are working against uh, folks who are detained, while at the same time respecting uh, that individual mm-hmm. to not um, to not take advantage of that suffering. Right. Um, but then, but we need to tell these stories. You know, we need to t- we need to we need to let folks know who are listening that this system is 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 torture, that this system is separating families. Mm-hmm. And when a parent, when a mom, when a grandma, when a young kid uh, is is attained, there is just so much suffering that is that bleeds out into their families, into their friends, into their communities. So, Yes, I mean. So on one end, uh, we have to tell these stories, but you know, we're very we're careful as to how we frame it, but also how do we really hold the system accountable to what they are doing to our communities, while also respecting a, uh, a person's um, integrity.
1: Can I add to that? You know, the people that are, are part of this show have um, so many of them have become leaders in this movement in different ways, and um, this show is a chance for you know people to to directly say what they would like to see changed and how they've come to know what needs to happen and um, that this is a, a platform for us to, to learn from that experience and to speak back to this system. Um, and I, um, I think one way to think about it is as a process of accompaniment that we are accompanying these stories and we are grateful when they are, are shared with us and we have so much to learn from them.
0: Thank you. And I wonder if um, you might say something about New Haven as a place from which you are mounting the series, because clearly many of the stories you're recording come from elsewhere, but you both have uh, deep roots here. And this is a city that has experienced enormous impact of mass incarceration of citizens, um, poor people, people of color, who are also experiencing this isolation um, and violence at the hands of the state. So I wonder if you think about how this provides an opportunity for you to engage um, the larger frame of struggle from a particular place. How you've thought about that?
2: Yeah. So I so I have uh, very deep roots uh, here in Connecticut. My father left um, in 1990 to come to this area, New Haven, Old Saybrook, all of of this area. And my family has migrated uh, during the 90s. Most of us came. And so my family is um, of uh, different status. It's a mixed status family. So my family members are not protected from deportation. So for me, it's a it's a really big question. It's a really big question because uh, I mean, like the, the reality is is that in, in in all of our communities, you have um, people of color, uh, undocumented folks who are who are the most vulnerable for this to the to the system of incarceration. We have uh, folks in New Haven who don't have uh, the resources to survive while at the same time we have this very large institution that we have we have Yale who is just omnipresent um, and we have this uh and then we have this sort of like this this contrast of of people in New Haven who are really struggling um so how do we create a system to criminalize those folks to make them dis- disappear and how ha- and then <laughs> we also come into the uh into the other type of violence which is gentrification um when you um, are expanding, when the university expands, uh, you are sort of taking over certain neighborhoods, one block at a time, and that is also that is also that is also uh, violence.
1: I would add that, Luis, I've learned from you just how much New Haven is a leader in the national immigrant rights, immigrant justice movement. And New Haven was the first city nationwide to establish a municipal ID card and has been a leader in so many different ways. And so, but also, as you discussed, there are all these walls here, right here in New Haven, right? The walls of Yale. And so, I think, you know, as scholars of migration and working against walls and borders in all ways, that it's pivotal to our scholarly practice to try to transcend those walls as well. Um, And I think that's what I learned in the Migrant Justice Seminar and in so many projects happening here at Yale in the public humanities. I think it's a a space where we can try to do that work of working against these borders that the academy creates and that is necessary to the work of opposing all these other borders. Um, And so, you know, to me, that's why getting to do this work here and and thinking about what that means here in New Haven and and myself now being a part of this institution of Yale um, as a way to. To, to, to be constantly navigating those questions.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I mean I think that like in the spirit of our, of our collaboration, you, you know, we we you know we we sat we sat horizontally, both literally and figuratively, <laughs> to sort of like you know to sort of like think about like how do we collaborate, right? The thing here is like collaboration and imagination can really you know help destroy this destroy these walls, and. Like in our spirit, in the spirit of, the, of this of this project, you know, like that is what is happening right now. We, we have Sylvia, who's a scholar, um, and then me, who's on the ground working as an activist and as, a, as an organizer, um, as someone who ha- who was undocumented for years, as someone who has family who are undocumented, who are not shielded from deportation. So this this convergence, um, you know, it's what. This this podcast is about is about that it's about it's about that sort of um, collaborative uh, practice.
0: And if I can just add, I think one of the things from my own experience as a scholar is that there are many things that our scholarship doesn't capture, that we don't know, and part of what you're doing through this is giving us another way of understanding this regime and understanding who migrants are, who are migrants in this community, what are their experiences, where are they located, how do they come together, what are their politics, Um, you know, which are things that as scholars we can look at in the abstract in one way, but part of what generating these kinds of media allows us to do is to discover and test our own thinking in really important and productive ways so that it's the flow of knowledge production doesn't go one way, right? Um, Because there are many models for public engagement from a university, and that is often, um, it has been most often practiced as taking the expertise of a university-trained person into the outside and applying it there. Um, But I think one of the things that this version of public humanities offers is the capacity to make knowledge production not only collaborative, but multi-directional, right? And that, that we have a lot of work to do together, but we also have a lot of learning to do together. Um, and that to engage in a politics of abolition in the way that I've heard you talk about it will require a great deal of reflection so, I guess my closing question is where you would like to see this project in another year from now? If we come back and connect with you, where, where will you be?
2: I would love for this project to reach more detention centers. Um, I would love for this project to expand um, so, so more people can, can listen to it. I would love for more antennas hmm. to send the message and for those antennas to reach more detention walls and to break through them.
1: I think one thing I hope this project can do is sort of provide a model of, of what radio can be used for in an abolitionist movement, um, and that, you know, it would be wonderful if other stations want to to air this, this work, but also maybe they want to create their own projects and maybe they can um, create locally-based programming specific to their communities that reaches other institutions, whether they're prisons or jails or detention centers. But these airwaves are a way that we can work to break down these walls wherever they are. That's great. Well, I congratulate you, and I
0: want to say to you how grateful I am for the opportunity to uh, work with you and to, through you, connect with so many extraordinary people.
1: And that's what it is. We're just learning and figuring it out as we go. (laughs) So let's just keep it going. For sure. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Alicia.